Hello all, this is Amanda and welcome to In My Own Little Corner, the podcast all about Broadway shows. Today I'll be talking about one of my favorite shows of all time, The Sound of Music. It is a classic. Um, I'm going to be talking about the movie version and the Broadway musical version, which do have some slight differences. I've seen multiple versions of this show, and I've been in this show when I was a teenager. I was one of the nuns and a mother superior, and it was so much fun. The Sound of Music is set in Austria on the eve of World War II. The basic storyline follows a young woman, Maria, who is not doing well trying to become a nun and is sent off to be a governess to a family with way too many children and an absent father. She takes charge of the children, teaches them how to have fun again, brings music back into their lives, falls in love with the father and has a beautiful wedding, and is obviously not going to become a nun, all right before Austria falls to the Germans in World War II and they have to escape through the Alps into Switzerland. It is all based on the true story of a real family, that did exactly this, although in real life they were singing Beethoven and not Do Re Mi. The show begins with religious music sung by nuns in the Abbey. This is quickly followed by Maria singing The Sound of Music. I go to the hills when my heart is lonely. I know I will hear what I've heard before. My heart will be blessed with the sound of music, and I'll sing once more. The Sound of Music is the titular song of the show, and it starts it out on such an optimistic note. The lyrics are all about being free and wanting to hear the songs in nature, and really just filling your soul with this calming presence of being out here in the mountains where Maria the main character and who you're meeting for the first time obviously feels the best and feels the most free. You learn very soon after this, when she, Maria returns to the Abbey, that in the Abbey you're not supposed to sing without special permission. And this is something that really weighs on Maria because she seems to find music to be her happy place, to be something that she does to express her emotions. She needs to sing. She sings when she's happy. She sings when she's sad. It's what she uses as her form of expression is to sing everything. And it's very hard for her to not do that. And when Maria is done with this song, she has to run careening back to the Abbey because she is running late. How do you solve a problem like Maria? How do you catch a cloud and pin it down? How do you find a word that means Maria? A flurry jibber with a whisper clown. 
The nuns are singing about Maria and about how you could ever solve a problem like her when she finally gets back to the abbey and runs through. And this song is a really funny, clever, quick little song that I enjoy a lot. It's got lines like, she'd outpester any pest, drive a hornet from its nest. She could throw a whirling dervish out of whirl. It goes quickly and it's kind of the nuns talking amongst themselves about this problem they're having with Maria and how they don't know what to do. And I really enjoy how it ends the song because they're talking about how do you solve this problem like Maria and they end kind of praying to the sky this song of please God help us how do we solve a problem like Maria. And through this whole scene I think what you're kind of taking out of it is that Maria really is not fitting into the nun lifestyle. She's too animated. She sings too much. She runs too much. She's kind of too lively, too alive to be in this cloistered environment that's very structured and specific and quiet. And that's just not Maria. And she even says to the Mother Superior, when Mother Superior brings this up to her, that why she wanted to be a nun is that she heard them singing over the walls. And so Mother Superior kind of feels like she is not, Maria is not ready to be a nun and didn't really know what she was getting into when she decided to sign up. Um, and so she sends her away. And not forever, she says, but she's going to send her off to be a governess to a man who's lost his wife and has a bunch of children. And Maria fights this decision. She's not happy with being sent away. She's begging, saying, I can do better. But Mother Superior's mind is made up, and so she sends her off to see what life will have for her. And so Maria goes off, and the next thing you see is the next song, which is I Have Confidence. I have confidence in confidence alone. Besides which you see, I have confidence in me. The song I Have Confidence is fun. In the movie, you see Julie Andrews, who plays Maria, going through the bus and singing this song and wandering through town and singing this song. She's at a fountain. Um, and I think this is the scene where in the movie, the actual Maria... Um, plays a little, uh, has a little walk-on role and walks by her um, while she's going through town. And this whole song, she's singing about how she's scared about what's going on in the future, but how she's excited and how she wants to be free and how she should be excited and happy. So what's wrong with me that I'm not? And she has one little line, a captain with seven children. What's so fearsome about that? Um, and she's talking about getting rid of her doubts and being getting rid of her worries and just having confidence in herself. And that's kind of the whole point of the song. By the time she's done with it, she's kind of worked herself up, boasted her self-confidence up. And she walks up and she sees the house and it's a mansion. And there goes her confidence again. And she's feeling upset until she kind of rouses herself one last time to knock on the door, ring the doorbell, and go on in with all this confidence. And I kind of see this song as a 
kind of call to having that outer shell, right? So you are allowed to worry and be scared and that's pretty normal, but it's about showing confidence to the world and acting like you have confidence to really project that confidence out there to the world. And it's one of those things that I think even especially working with kids, you got to work on, you have to work on that, you know, they can smell the fear of wanting to make sure that you project an image that you are competent and you know what you're doing and don't let them know that this is your first time coming into the house to be a governess and don't be scared. And that comes up with the next scene when she meets the children that they are children you don't want to, at this point in the show, show any sort of weakness or fear to. So she goes into the house and she meets the captain and some of the servants and the children. And the captain whistles for the children. And they all have a specific whistle that they're supposed to answer to, which is crazy. And Maria is noticing that it's crazy. And then he has a whistle that he has for her that she's supposed to listen to and respond to. And she is not at all happy about that. Um, and then he even gives her a whistle to call the children. And so she asks what his whistle is, which um, is kind of getting back at him. And he's a little offended by he obviously doesn't have a whistle because he is the captain. Now there's a bit of a discrepancy between kind of the movie version with Julie Andrews and then the Broadway version on stage where they kind of change some things around a bit. My favorite things is the song where it comes up earlier in the Broadway show where she actually sings that song with the Mother Abbess, Mother Superior in the at the Abbey before she leaves. And that's where that song first comes in um, versus in the movie she sings it with the kids when they're scared after a thunderstorm. And so it has kind of a different placement in the show, depending on which version you're talking about. And so in the play version, there wouldn't have been an I have confidence. You would have gone with my favorite things before she comes and meets the children. Either way, the next song I want to talk about is my favorite things. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. Bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens. Brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. Favorite Things is a great little song. Um, one of the few that has the word schnitzel in it that I know of, which is always lots of fun. And because it has some wintry words in it, it talks about doorbells and sleigh bells and... Um, Warm Woolen Mittens, there's something about Crisp Apple Strudel, and Snowflakes That Stay on Your Nose and Eyelashes. So um, because of that, it's kind of used as a Christmas song now, which never really made all that much sense to me, um, basically because I think because I know it from the show, and in the show it's not a Christmas song, it's just... These are things that make me feel happy. So it's kind of on the same thematic range of that confidence song um, of like when I'm not feeling good, when I'm unhappy, I think of happy things to make me happy. And I think it's a good little life lesson and it's a nice thing and it's something that I definitely do if I am. I have a habit sometimes of ruminating on things or getting like bad things in my head and kind of focusing on it 
It's a big problem when I'm trying to sleep sometimes where I can't get something I'm worried about out of my head. And one of the ways that I think it, that for me at least helps is to think about things that make me happy and to think about things that are not worrying. And that helps get the bad stuff out of your mind if you are kind of ruminating on it too much, which is one of my character flaws that I do tend to ruminate on things more, I think, than is healthier than I should. And so this song has always kind of struck a chord for me in that it's a way it's kind of giving that advice of, you know, think about good things. And don't keep ruminating on things that are bad, things that make you scared. Um, It's something that happens, like, when I was a kid, well, even still now, I'm not a big fan of horror movies. I never liked watching them. But if when when I was younger, still living at home with my brother and my parents, if we, my brother loves horror movies, if I watched something scary, I would sometimes be willing to watch it with him. But I would make him then watch a comedy with me after to make me feel better. And it's still kind of something that I do of if I watch something or read something that's really heavy and pulls me down or scary, then I like to have something that pulls you back up again, something happy to end on a high note. And uh, I think that's kind of where this song is going of it's very much about think of things that make you happy and it'll make you feel better. And I'm not trying to say that this is going to cure your depression or it's some big over overarching thing but it is a simple little thing that does I think make you feel a lot better to just think of the things that make you happy and not the things that make you mad and it helps your blood pressure what a concept but I love it next up is do re mi do a deer a female deer ray a drop of golden sun me a name i call myself far a long long way to run so a needle pulling thread law a note to follow so tea a drink with jam and bread that will bring us back to do this song is super cute and fun and i hope everybody knows it There aren't any deep lyrics that I can get into and philosophize with you about, I don't think. It's things like, Doe a deer, a female deer, Ray, a drop of golden sun. You know, and it just goes around. They sing it in around. Um, I love how, like, somewhat complicated the music can get, and I love the round part. I love when they get into the part where they kind of change the words up and you know, when you know the notes to sing, you can sing most anything parts that they get into, which is a lot of fun as well. In the movie version, I think they do a really nice job of this scene of them, you know, kind of over time learning to like Maria and learning to have fun and be kids again, which is something they haven't been allowed to do in a while. And so they kind of turn this song and using this song as kind of a time lapse over watching these children learn to just have fun again and to be children again. And it's a perfect little song for that because it's just a perfect little fluffy song to have fun with. It's just a fun song and you don't have to think too hard about the lyrics or what any of it means, it's just for fun. Something that is not necessarily just for fun and does, I think, have a little bit more meat to it is 16 going on 17. 
I'm going back and forth in the order I'm talking about this. This is kind of the order that go it goes in for the stage production. 16 going on 17 comes after Do Re Mi. It's not, I don't think, how it works in the movie, but, you know. Here we go anyway. I am 16 going on 17. I know that I'm naive. Fellows I meet may tell me I'm sweet and willingly I believe. High on a hill sit a lonely goat herd, lay yodelay yodelay hee-hoo. Loud was the voice of the lonely goat herd, lay yodelay yodeloo. Folks in the town that was quite remote heard lay yodelay yodelay hee-hoo. Lusty and clear from the goat herd's throat heard lay yodelay yodeloo. Oh, holy yodelay, oh, holy yodelay, oh, holy yodelay, holy yodelay, holy. 16 going on 17 is a little song between Rolf and Liesel. Liesel is the eldest daughter of the family that Maria has come to be a governess for. She's 16. And she has snuck out to go see her boyfriend, Rolf. And they have this song together talking about how Rolf is a whole year older than her. He's 17 going on 18. And talking about how she's naive and she needs someone to protect her and help her. It's a very cute flirtatious song. You know, Rolf is singing and trying to show how sophisticated he is. And he's not just a little boy. That he's this sophisticated man and he is going to show her, I don't know, a good time. And show her, like, the world and how cool he is he's trying to play it cool and be really awesome in this song and she kind of plays along with it but also is kind of teasing him about it um, but they're just flirting throughout the song and it ends with her saying that she'll depend on Rolf and it's very sweet and in the movie version they're in the rain they're in this really cool gazebo with benches along the walls and they're running around and jumping and Liesl is jumping from bench to bench throughout the dance when Rolf is kind of holding her arm and helping her do it. It's a very pretty cinematic piece. I really like it. As a feminist, I do find some of the lyrics a little problematic if you really stop and think about them too long because they're things like Rolf saying that you're on the brink Baby, you're on the brink of being an adult, maybe? I'm not sure. Um, he's saying fellows are going to fall in line to give you, offer you food and wine, and you're totally unprepared to face the world of men, and you need someone older and wiser telling you what to do, and that I'll take care of you. And then Liesl sings back, and at the end she says, you're 17 going on 18, I'll depend on you. It is not, I will admit, my favorite song in the world. Um, I think it's a sweet scene. I think I get what they're trying to go for here. They're trying to show this young love, these two little teenagers who are, you know, I think each other's first kiss. I think they share their first kiss at the end of this song. It's not explicit. Like, I've never kissed anyone before, but it definitely seems like it's their first kiss. I think this is their first love. It's supposed to be kind of touching and sweet. The lyrics, I think, just kind of harken back to a time frame I'm not particularly comfortable with and not particularly happy about. 
um, which I think is what rubs, rubs me the wrong way a little bit of the lyrics themselves. But the scene and the thing that they're trying to get across, I think, is really sweet and cute. And it does set up Rolf, who you're going to need a couple more times throughout the show. So that is helpful in and of itself. In the movie version, they use the song as a way to kind of get Liesl to like Maria more because she has to sneak back in through Maria's room, which then leads to the whole storm and the favorite thing song, which is not exactly how it plays out in the play version. But I think it works for what they're trying to accomplish uh, in the movie version. Um, and like I said, it's a beautiful scene in the movie. I just not so sure about the lyrics but the scene itself is very very pretty and on we go to the lonely goat herd this song is just kind of randomly in there in a lot of ways in the movie they have this big puppet show that they're doing um for the father and his girlfriend and their uncle Max, not really their uncle, but a guy who is there. Um, it's it's a sweet little thing again. I think just trying to show the connection between Maria and the children. It's them kind of now after after Do Re Mi, where they're kind of getting together and becoming this group and liking each other. Then this lonely goat herd song is them kind of now showcasing that to the world at large. And showing how good Maria is with the children and how much they like her and how much fun they're all having together. And in the movie, it's nice because this is coming after the father, the captain, comes home bringing this woman with him and bringing Max with him. And they f they see the children in the river wearing not nice clothes. Dad is not happy about it. And um, is very upset with what Maria has done. And then this is a situation where the kids are kind of showing off and their father's happy with them, which is nice. It's a bit of a little romantic song. You know, it's the goat herd and then meets a girl who hears him yodel and they get together and they have a baby. It's basically what the song is about. Um, you know, that they get married and have a baby, I'm assuming. And then they do kind of the same thing again with a goat in the movie, it's now puppets of goats instead of humans, but it's the same song again. And they yodel and they hear each other and they get married and they fall in love. Again, it's kind of fluffy. There's not much to dig into in the lyr lyrically. Um, unless you want to get deep with like the lonely goat herd looking for somebody because he's so lonely and maybe the captain is that lonely person or even the children were all. Although they were together, they were kind of lonely before Maria showed up. So it could be kind of allegorical for all of those relationships if you want to take it that way. Or you can just take it as a very fun, fluffy song, another excuse to kind of get the kids and Maria singing together and showing that they have built this relationship um, and are enjoying each other's company in a way that they did not when they had their first meeting, which didn't go very well. So it's kind of showing that change. Then we move on to How Can Love Survive? This is a song that was cut from the movie version of the show. It's a song between the captain and the Baroness talking about how they can't 
how it's hard to keep love alive when you're both so rich, basically. Um, they've got they've got lyrics like, No little shack do you share with me. We do not flee from a mortgage. Nary a care in the world have we. How can love survive? And it's just kind of the two of them talking about how how it's hard to keep the love alive when you don't have something to struggle against, I suppose. Um, and they're not coming to any decision. They're not breaking up. Um, but it doesn't feel very romantic either. And it doesn't feel like, oh, yes, these two people are meant to be together in any way. They're just kind of meh. They're just kind of together and seem like they're okay with it, but they're not in love with the idea of love with each other. And um, it's a decent song. I get why they kind of cut it for time in that it doesn't really, I think, move the plot along all that much. Um, it just is... There are other ways that you're getting this impression that the two of them are not particularly simpatico, that they might not necessarily be the best match for each other, and you're definitely getting the tension of Maria and the captain maybe having a better connection than the captain has with the Baroness, and... um this song just kind of moves that plot line forward of the captain and the baroness not particularly being the best match. And following that song where you see that the baroness and the captain are not a great match for each other, there's a little dance scene between Maria and the captain where they dance a traditional Austrian dance. It's not a sexy dance. It's not that they're you know, even a more modern slow dance sort of situation. And yet the point of it is that you're seeing that they have this connection with each other um, and they're both very affected by the dance, even though it is just this very formal kind of dance where they're just their hands touch. Um, and I think those two things together kind of help make this make it very obvious that the captain and Maria have a much better connection than the captain and the Baroness do in this little love triangle that they're setting up in the show. It makes it very clear and obvious that obviously Maria and the captain are the ones who end up together, not the Baroness. Then we've got one of my favorite little songs in the show. It's So Long Farewell that the children sang at the end of the party. So long, farewell, all readers, and good night. I hate to go and leave this pretty sight. This is the kids saying good night to the party. Um, this is the party that the captain and the baroness are throwing to, well, the captain really throwing to introduce the baroness to all his friends because she's not from around here. Um, and this is where Maria and the captain have had their little dance and now the kids are saying good night and going off to bed. It's very sweet. Each child gets to put in their own little personality into how, what they do and what they say. Um, there's the one I flit, I fleet, or it's I flit, I float, I fleetly flee, I fly. There's a lot of alliteration. It's kind of hard to say. Um, and I really love when the youngest daughter is at the end gets to say the sun has gone to bed and so must I goodbye and they sing goodbye goodbye and the crowd sings goodbye to them 
and it's just kind of soothing I think as a song it's kind of a weird word to use but it is you know it's a goodbye song it's kind of a lullaby um it's them saying goodnight to the crowd and it's them kind of saying goodnight to the audience maybe because it is the end it's almost the end of act two it's not quite the end of act two or act two act one I'm still talking about act one it's almost the end of Act 1. We're getting very close to intermission here. And they're saying farewell to everybody. And, you know, allegorically, I think that there is a little bit of... We have now had it made perfectly clear to us that this is not going to work out between the Baroness and the Captain. Um, we've also, in the party, gotten the first kind of inklings that something is going wrong politically. There's stuff about, you know, the Nazi party, the Third Reich, that comes up and we find out the captain is not a supporter. Some of his neighbors are supporters. You hear a little bit of talk about, you know, Germany annexing Austria and some people seem to be okay even in favor of that. The captain is not in favor of that and is very upset by the implications of it. Um, and so we're starting to see the first little rumblings of some of this that's going to be a big deal later to just not just the Von Trapp family, but to a good portion of the world. Um, and so I think this farewell song in a lot of ways is farewell to this first half of the show, to this kind of innocence of the first half of the show, where you've got all these kind of happy songs, you know, they're... The Sound of Music song from the very beginning is just so bright and uplifting and not a care in the world. And Favorite Things is like that. Do Re Mi is like that. Even 16 going on 17 is very carefree kids falling in love for the first time. It's all very low stakes, um, carefree sort of world that they've set up for us, right? Where, yes, the kids are kind of need some better more love they're not their father's kind of absent um but all the problems that we've kind of seen are just with you know maria kind of not fitting into the abbey the kids needing a little bit more parental love but they're not huge things they're very micro problems for individual people and things that you know are kind of almost being wrapped up at this point well, maybe not Maria and the Abby thing, but she has definitely become farther in feeling more confident in herself by this point. And the kids are doing a lot better. And it's kind of all wrapped up very quickly and there's not much like this huge thing hanging over anybody's head yet. This party is where you start to see that, yes, there is like a bigger problem, a bigger issue that might be coming up that's going to hang over everybody's head. And I so I kind of see this so long farewell song where the children are saying goodnight as also kind of saying goodnight to this this section of history or the show of, you know, we are leaving behind this happy-go-lucky innocent part of it and kind of this is where things get real and this is where the real problems are going to come in. And you're going to get to know them. And that's what really kind of happens in the second half is you get this much larger problem than what, than what we knew about. The first half is almost just setting up the scene, right? 
of getting to know you. This is a getting to know the family Von Trapp and getting to know Rubia and getting to know all these characters. But there hasn't really been this a huge problem yet. And so that's kind of how I feel about this farewell song is, is it's a goodbye to the innocence that we had had in the show up until now. And of course, the much more literal way to take it is it's also a goodbye for Maria because after this party and after that dance with the captain and in the movie, after having talked to the Baroness, um, Maria is feeling, she's in her feels. She is feeling her feelings and she is realizing she has feelings for the captain that she thinks are inappropriate. Um, she wanted to be a nun. She still at this point thinks that when she's done being a governess, she's going to go be a nun. And she thinks that the captain's going to marry the Baroness. And once the wedding takes place, then the kids are going to have a new mom. They're not going to need a governess anymore. And that's when she's going to go back to the Abbey and things are going to go back to the way they used to be for her. And now suddenly she's having feelings for the captain. And she's not sure whether he's having feelings for her. I don't think. But she thinks she's having feelings for him and she feels, I feel, I think she feels guilty about it, right? Because she sees him as taken. He's with the Baroness and they're going to get married. And so she has no spot in that. And plus she came here to be the governess to the kids, not to fall in love with their dad. And plus she wants to be a nun and you're not supposed to get married to some man if you're going to be a nun because then you're supposed to get married to God. And so in that way, she I think she almost sees herself, herself as taken too, right? She is already kind of pledging her life to be a nun. The captain is already going to be engaged to the Baroness. So both of them are taken and in, in their own place. And so I think she feels very guilty about this and the whole situation. And also just not at, not at all prepared. She is very naive. Um, it seems like, at least in my interpretation of this, that she was very young when she went into the Abbey, and she's still pretty young, much younger than the captain, um, and really hasn't had a relationship before, probably, and doesn't really know what she's feeling and is unsure of it all, and she is, it really does throw her for a loop, and she does get scared of all that's going on with her and in this life and so this song after the farewell song is when she leaves to go back to the abbey because she is just overwhelmed by all of it and all the emotions and so she goes back to the abbey where she meets up with the mother superior the abbess mother abbess and that's where you get climb every mountain which is just, I think, another really well-known song from this show that I think is pretty great. Climb every mountain, ford every stream, follow every Every Mountain is 
with the Mother Abbess. And it's after Maria has come back to the Abbey and she's not talking to anyone and everyone's kind of worried about her. Some of the other nuns are talking to the Mother Abbess before this song happens about being worried that she won't talk and how she just sits and prays and something they think something bad must have happened um, when she was out with the family and they're worried about it. Um, they're worried about what might have happened to Maria while she was gone from kind of their secluded area. They really think that maybe, I don't know, they don't come out and say what they think happened to Maria, but they are very worried that something bad has happened to her while she's gone. And they're worried about the change in her now that she's back. <clears throat> and that's when the mother abbess comes in and talks to Maria and kind of tries to find out what has happened. Right. And that's when she realizes and that's when she kind of talks through the situation with Maria and they both realize that Maria has feelings for this man. And the Mother Abbess, I think, takes a kind of almost more liberal thing that, or position than I would expect her to take as a nun. But she basically tells her to that, you know, you have to go back that these walls are not here to keep the world out or to keep you from being part of the world. Because Maria basically says, you know what, I'm ready. I'm ready to fully commit. I want to really be a nun, not just, you know, a novitiate. I really want to become a nun now. I'm ready. And the Mother Superior tells her, no, you're not ready. You have to go figure this out first. Um, and that being married to a man and raising children is also a godly thing to do with your life basically and you have to go figure out whether that is what you're supposed to do with your life or not um and not to hide in the abbey that you need to go out and face your life face what's going on and figure out if that's what you're supposed to do or not if you're supposed to go and be part of the world and marry this man and raise these children or whether you're supposed to come back and be part of the abbey but that you need to go figure that out for yourself and you can't just hide here and so then she goes into this climb every mountain and i really do absolutely love this show or this song it's climb every mountain search high and low follow every byway every path you know um and it's about trying to search everywhere and i really take this song to mean that you need to go out and Take every opportunity, basically. Take every opportunity that life throws at you to be happy and to find a life that works for you. And to not just hide away and hope that it finds you. So it's till you find your dreams. So the idea being that the dreams are not going to just come to you. That you need to go out and do things and search everywhere you know, climb every mountain, ford every stream, those don't sound like comfortable things to do. So not just sitting where it's comfortable, but going out and doing whatever you can to find that thing that makes you happy, your dream, to find a life that satisfies you, that makes you happy. You know, this isn't something maybe that everybody does, right? And maybe not even everybody can do. If you're stuck somewhere where you can't just go be free and look into this, you know, there are people who are, you know, you're stuck 
taking, you know, you've got responsibilities to take care of other people. So you've got to stay in your dead end job because you need that money or whatever it is. You know, it's not 100% realistic. You're going to be able to do it. But on the other hand, I think a lot of people do miss opportunities to have fun that are available to them. And I say have fun, I guess, because the idea to find your dream, what does that even mean? And to me, that dream, I'm interpreting it to mean maybe not one specific thing or like this end goal of life of what is the meaning of life and you must find the meaning of your life. As much as I'm taking it to mean that you need to enjoy your life and make sure that you're doing what is going to make you happy. And I don't think that the mother abbess believes that staying in the abbey is going to make Maria happy. And so she's telling her to go out and find what will and find what does make her happy. And if it's marrying this man, then maybe that's then that's what she should do. And she, you know, that she can find something else, that this is not the place for you. You're not happy here. Go find the place that is for you. And I really like that message. I think that that's a good thing to think about, to not just stay where you're safe and comfortable for the sake of being safe and comfortable when there are other options that might make you happier than your current location. And there's a duality to it because I do have trouble with the concept of of some of this and that I don't want to say that I'm advocating like not being safe or doing something dangerous. And, you know, I have no interest in skydiving ever and I'm never planning to do it, even though that makes some people happy and I don't feel the need to. And I don't feel like I am somehow not following this advice by not doing that. Right. But the the idea more being just go and enjoy it enjoy your life in whatever the best way that you can is and it's find your dream not find somebody else's dream and I think that's a huge important key point to this you have to find what makes you happy not what made somebody else you know happy because that's not the same thing and things that I do and make me happy are not the same as what other people do and make them happy and that's okay. You don't have to have the life that you think makes other people happy or could make you happy, maybe. You need to have the life that actually makes you happy. And I think that's something very different because not everybody needs, you know, a house with three three bedrooms and two baths and a white picket fence and, you know, the couple and the 2.5 kids and a dog. To be happy. That's not the lifestyle you have to have to be happy. And so the point is not to go out and have that perfect American dream middle class life. The point is to go out and find the thing that makes you happy and do that. And that is a message I can get behind and that I really love. In addition, this is the last song of the first act, and I think it's a great song to end on. It's very uplifting. It's a power ballad, and it's such a nice, almost ring and finality to it to end on this of, you know, go out and find your dream. End of the first act. And it always just makes me feel, it gives me the feels, and I really, I really love it. 
So to start Act 2, Maria has taken the advice from the Abbey and she's returned to the family. The kids are singing songs with their dad and with the Baroness. And it's kind of cute. And Maria is reintroducing herself to the family and saying that she's back for a while. She's not committing to stay. And she, through this, is realizing that she notices that there's something between the Baroness and the Captain. And um, saying that she'll be there basically until they get married. And the kids don't need her anymore, but she's there for the children. And so she goes off with them, leaving the Baroness, the Captain, and Uncle Max to sing a song, No Way to Stop It. A crazy planet full of crazy people is somersaulting all around the sky. And every time it turns another somersault, another day goes by. And there's no way to stop it, no, there's no way to stop it, no, you can't stop it even if you try. So I'm not going to worry, no, I'm not going to worry as each day goes by. No Way to Stop It is a song that got cut from the movie version, but is in the theatrical production. And I really like this song. It helps to actually fill in how the captain and Max and the Baroness have their falling out, which in the movie never really, I feel like, happens. They just kind of disagree a little bit, but it doesn't really fully blow it out, whereas I think this song is what does it in the show, of showing the political differences between these people. Because after the kids and Maria leave, the three of them stay behind, and they're talking about... The current political situation. I think Max gets a call from Berlin um, and the captain gets very upset by that. He is very anti the idea of the Germans taking over Austria and Max and the Baroness are very non-committal and they don't really seem to care one way or the other and they're trying to talk to the captain about being smart and about keeping friends in high places so that you're okay no matter which way the wind blows. Basically, um, they call him a dewy-eyed idealist in the song and saying that he has to become a realist and to be compromise and be wise. He says that he's not going to bow his head to the men he despises and they reply back, you don't have to bow your head, just stoop a little. And they're really trying to get him to this concept of just compromising and going with it and not, not being too strong in these convictions and not making the wrong people mad, basically. That, you know, we're basically, we're rich enough. We're going to be okay no matter which way it goes, no matter what happens, as long as you play the game. And the captain is very much not willing to play the game and throughout this song, it's them trying to convince him of the wisdom of what they are doing. And the lyrics are really funny. I really like this song. And it's very sad that it got cut from the movie version. Maybe it's a little too sarcastic and cutting. I'm not sure. Um, but they go through with a crazy planet full of crazy people. And this idea that the world is so big, you can't control it is basically how I take it. That the world is so big 
There's so much happening. You can't be in control of that. So just take care of yourself and make sure that you're going to be okay no matter what happens. So, you know, crazy world, but I'm not going to worry because I couldn't stop it from somersaulting through the sky. The next one is while somersaulting through at a cockeyed angle, we make a cockeyed circle around the sun. And when we circle back to where we started from, another year has run and there's no way to stop it. So you can't stop the world from spinning. You can't stop the world from going around the sun. So why waste your energy trying to? And the captain comes back at the end with very sarcastically. So every star on every whirling planet and every constellation in the sky revolves around the center of the universe. That lovely thing called I. And he's all mad about it. And Max and the Baroness come back with, yep, and there's no way to stop it. No, there's no way to stop it. All happy and singing, and they don't kind of get how mad he is about it, I don't think, in the song. They're just smiling and singing along, and yep, isn't that great? And this song is very happy and bubbly in the music, and the lyrics are so kind of depressing. They're all just about how... The world is too much and you can't solve everything, so why even bother trying? And when you know that they're talking about the Germans and the Nazis and what's coming in World War II and the Holocaust and everything, it's really sad and depressing to think that these people are just saying, meh, it doesn't matter whether the Germans take over, it's all good, we'll be fine. You know, just keep your friends in Berlin and everything will be cool. And they really believe this. And I think it's a mentality that people still have today. And I think in this case, it's a very wealthy people born into their riches and very secure in their place in the world. And knowing that no matter how bad things get, it won't really affect them. And they're very sure of it. And I think people are still like that. And wealthy people still think like that, where whatever laws are in place or whatever you do, it really doesn't affect them. They're... They're above the fray because of their wealth. They're above all of this riffraff down here. And that's really what I take from this song. Especially as the Baroness sings this big soprano way up high. She is soaring above everyone. And doesn't need to deal with the nasty little details of the people, the commoners down here. And that's where they go off on this song. It's, it's a very selfish song. It's very, I am the center of the universe. I'm the most important thing in the world. And nobody else will ever be as important as me. And I don't need to worry about anybody else. I just need to take care of me. It's taking care of number one in the song. And I think this is a breaking point where the captain realizes that his morals and values really do not align with the Baroness and Max, who are his good friends that he's brought out to the country with him, that he fundamentally does not agree with their worldview and how they're taking this. And he does care and he does want to change things and fight for what he believes in. And they don't. And it really bothers him in this song, the way they're talking and the way they're dealing with this, that they don't seem to care the way he does. So they kind of storm off. This is where we see kind of the end of the captain and the baroness. And then that we come to another big, I guess, difference between the movie and the show. Um, the stage show has a song between the captain and Maria, which is um, an ordinary couple. And then 
the movie has something good. And they both kind of serve the same purpose. They're the place where Maria and the captain are finally going to be together and fall in love and you know that they're going to get married. But they're two different songs. And I don't really know why they changed the song for the movie. But they're very parallel songs in a lot of way and they serve the same function in the storyline because it is the time where they come together. I suppose I do get why they switched in the movie to something good or why I think that they switched in that I'm not a huge fan of the song An Ordinary Couple. That could be my own personal bias because the movie version is the version I grew up with. And I've watched that movie a million times as a child. I love it. It is the version that I first knew for The Sound of Music before I had ever seen the play version. And so I didn't know the other song and I've known something good for a very long time. And that is the song that goes in that spot for me. So I might have a personal issue against An Ordinary Couple, but I also feel like an Ordinary Couple is such a slow dirge of a song. Something Good is also a slow song. It's also a little, like, love song to each other. But An Ordinary Couple is just so slow. And it just keeps going on and on. And like you said, it's more of a dirge to me. It's very, very dead. Um, so we're going to start with Something Good. Perhaps I had a wicked childhood. Perhaps I had a miserable youth. But somewhere in my wicked, miserable past, there must have been a moment of truth. For here you are standing there loving me. Whether or not you should So somewhere in my youth or childhood I must have done something good Now to be fair, the lyrics of Something Good don't make a lot of sense to me in that we don't really know anything about the Captain or Maria's history that make them make sense. Because the lyrics are talking about, perhaps I had a wicked childhood or a miserable youth, but there must have been a moment of truth, and I must have done something good. That wicked childhood thing, like, what does that even mean? As far as we know, Maria was a sheltered kid who joined a freaking, um, Abby. What did she do? And the captain, he was a military man, so I guess he could have done some things. He's at least had more opportunity. He's older. He was in the military. He was off doing whatever, you know. He could have done something. But we haven't, like, heard from either of them that either of them have had this, like, wicked past that they're making up for. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to me that they go into these lyrics about how they had a wicked childhood. Um, but the meaning, I guess, is more about... That I must have done something good or that God wouldn't have given me you. Which I guess makes a little bit more sense of it. In, you know, saying that they have done something good to have found each other and deserve each other. So they must have done something good. I don't know. I do like this song. I think it's pretty. But it doesn't have a lot to it in the lyrics. 
It's definitely not my favorite song in the show. But just it's looking at the lyrics, they just don't make sense to me. They're, you know, that I had this miserable past and a wicked youth and all of this. Nothing comes from nothing. Nothing ever could. I mean, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. I don't know. I guess it's bringing the religious aspect into it. Because, you know, Big Bang is saying that there was, well, nothing comes from nothing. I suppose there's always matter there and it doesn't go. So I don't know. I'm kind of rambling at this point. But that's this entire podcast. So hello, everyone. I'm rambling. But the line I really do like is, For here you are standing there loving me, whether or not you should. And I really do enjoy that line about kind of a definition of love. Of you love me whether or not it's good for you, whether or not it's causing problems. And that line actually does make sense to me. Because Maria is giving up her, you know, goal to be a nun, to love him. And he is giving up the wealth and status of marrying the Baroness. I mean, he's wealthy enough on his own. But he's giving up the Baroness and this, like, kind of life he had planned out for himself with the Baroness that would have been one thing. And it's going to be very different being married to Maria than what he was expecting with the Baroness. So both of them are loving the, loving each other, whether or not they should, kind of in despite the plans that they had already had laid out for their lives that would have kept them apart. So I think it's that line that really resonates with me the most, that whether or not you should. And kind of talking about love as being this force, this emotion that you feel for someone, and it doesn't necessarily matter whether that's good or not, whether they're good or not, you love them sometimes in spite or despite yourself. In spite of things that they've done. You love them anyway. And so that is kind of the saving grace for this song. To me. An ordinary couple is all we'll ever be. For all I want from living is to keep you close to me. And then we move on to the other song that we could go in this place that goes in to serve this purpose during the stage production version, An Ordinary Couple. So this song is the captain and Maria singing to each other about how they're just going to be an ordinary couple and they just want to live together and laugh and weep together while the time goes by. It's kind of, the lyrics, if you just read them, are pretty sweet. It's kind of a sappy, sweet little love song. To kiss you every morning and to kiss you every night. We'll meet our daily problems and rest when day is done, our arms around each other in the fading sun. And how they just want to be an ordinary couple together. I was kind of hard on it earlier, and I still musically am not a huge fan. It's just such a slow dirge of a song, but the lyrics are cute and sweet. And if I'm being honest, probably do make more sense within the storyline of what's going on here. Because as I just was talking about, the something good lyrics leave a little bit something to be desired. 
But I do enjoy that song musically a little bit more, I think. Um, but this one is growing on me now that I'm sitting here reading the lyrics about it as being a cute little poem anyway about love and about just wanting to be an ordinary couple living together peacefully with their children. And it also kind of foreshadows what's about to happen as the big problem of this show when the Nazis show up. Because when the Nazis show us up, that's always, it's always problematic. That's never a good thing. Oh, yay, the Nazis are here. So this idea of they just want to be ordinary and live this ordinary, comfortable life here in this home that they have together looking at it from that perspective on knowing what's about to happen is kind of bittersweet that they just want to have normal daily problems and be a normal couple in a normal family. And you know that that's, well, they kind of get that. There's going to be a lot of upheaval in the meantime to try and get to that place because Nazis and Nazis are always a problem. I will go on record with that. Nazis are always a problem. Um, so it's a sweet little song. If they could pick up the tempo a bit, that would be nice. Um, and it also, and the foreshadowing of, you know, this could be the ending of the show of just, yay, we're happy and good night. But you know, it's not because we're still at the very beginning of the first act or the second act. So we've got a lot of time left to go. And that tells you that that is part of the foreshadowing, I think, of that, okay, things are going to get worse now. Things are going to, there's going to be problems. And you know that because this song, which could be the end of, and they all lived happily, happily together forever, is not really what's happening. That there are problems that are a coming, and this little sweetness is kind of detailing the beginning of the end. So moving on, we now have the nun singing a song. Maria is back with them, getting all dressed up in her white wedding dress. And the nuns sing some beautiful kind of religious sounding music in Latin, which is kind of put in together with how do you solve a problem like Maria lyrics. And it's very beautifully done in the movie version. I really like how they kind of wind that music together to have them kind of overlapping each other and going back and forth. And they have this beautiful wedding where she comes out of the nuns, out of the abbey, out of the nuns section into the, I guess, civilian section of the church. And she comes up to be married and all the kids are there and it's very cute and sweet and pretty. And then they go off on their honeymoon, leaving the children with Max. Now, again, this part of the story, I'm a little confused. Why are you leaving the children with Max? Maybe they just don't have anybody else. But couldn't they have hired one of the nuns to come or something? Because Max, as we have seen throughout the show, is not specifically a very responsible adult. It seems like a bad idea. I call it a bad piece of judgment. Not that great. I not a fan of leaving the children with Max. However, that is what they do. And while they're gone, Max sets the children up to be part of the Salzburg Music Festival, which he knows that the captain will not like. He does not want his children to sing in public. But in addition to that, while they're gone on their honeymoon, the Germans take over there are Nazi flags all over the place. Um, 
things have gone downhill very quickly and they come back from their honeymoon to get the, to see the children and Max and there are Nazi flags everywhere and Nazis and it's it's not great and very soon thereafter the captain is asked to join the German army or join the join the German navy I guess really specifically because he's a navy captain and he does not want to He's very upset by this, but the, and they know this and they're trying to force him to show his loyalty to them. And you know that if he says no, if he refuses to join, then something very bad is going to happen to him and his family. We are very sure of that because they're the Nazis. Um, and so he agrees, but says that he can't go until after the music festival that his children are a part of and that he is now going to sing and be part of. And the Nazis kind of question him on that because his name isn't in the playbill. But uh, he says it says the Von Trapp family and he's the head of the family and he's going to sing with them. And so the Nazis allow him because the festival is that evening that he's going to get to go and sing as part of the festival before they make him go and join the German Navy. And so at the music festival, well... I guess I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. The other thing that has come up is Rolf has now joined. Well, it's hard to say. He's kind of, you know, he's one. He's a local boy. He's 17. I feel like he was very much drafted and voluntold that he was going to be joining the military and being joining the Nazi party. I don't know that he had much choice in the matter, but he has joined. And he is part of that now. And he and... Liesl have had a bit of a falling out over that. And when Maria comes back, she talks to Liesl a, bit, a little bit about it, and they do a little reprise of 16 going on 17. That is a very sweet moment between them about how she's young and there will be, basically there's other fish in the sea and you're going to be okay and you'll get through this. You know, wait a year or two. You're not old enough for this anyway. It'll be fine. Um, but that becomes important later that those two have kind of had this falling out and have broken up. Anyway, we go to the music festival. They sing Do Re Mi again. They sing Edelweiss, which I love that song so much. It's such a beautiful song. We actually played it at my mother's funeral because it was one of her favorites. She had it in a couple of music boxes. Edelweiss is a song that is very close to my heart. I really love it. And then they sing So Long Farewell again, a shorter version with the adults in it singing along. And they're kind of our furtive looks while they do it. Um, and, you know, you know, as the as the viewer that they are using this moment to escape the Nazis and get out of there while they're not watching. And so then they go and have the judges tally it up and they're going to score the acts and whatnot. And they announce the third place and the second place. And then they announce first place and it's the Von Trapp family singers. And they say it all. And it's Max who is doing this whole festival. He's running the festival. And everybody claps and there's cheers and music and nobody comes out. And he says it again. The family Von Trapp. And again, nobody comes up. And then you hear, see the soldiers running around, searching for them and saying that they're gone. They're out of here. They've escaped. And so they get away. 
And then it cut to them at the Abbey because it turns out they can't, they had their car ready to go, but all the roads have been blocked out by the Nazis, so they can't drive away. They are stuck in town and they can't get anywhere. And here we get to another thing that is a, it's a small difference in that it doesn't take very long. It's a very short difference, but I think it's a huge difference and it bothers me so much between the movie and the stage production. So basically they're hiding in the Abbey waiting for the Nazis to leave, um, waiting for some things to die down. And I think they went there initially just to someplace to hide for a minute while they figure out what to do now that their first plan has fallen through and they can't just drive away, which was what they were initially planning to do. They were gonna drive from the festival and get out. And that's what they did, but then they realized they couldn't get out of town because all the roads were blocked. So they came to the Abbey and asked them to hide their car and hide them while they figured out what to do next. So they're hiding out in the Abbey and the Nazis, unfortunately, have been smart enough to come look for them in the Abbey. And so the nuns are taking their dear sweet time about letting the Nazis in. They're being very slow about opening doors and things for them to give the family and they're hiding the family in the cemetery um, in like a crypt area to let them hide from the Nazis while the Na Nazis search the Abbey. And in the movie, well, in the movie and the play, Rolf is the one who finds them in the cemetery. He's out searching and he finds them. And in the movie, he and the captain kind of have this weird big dick struggle with each other. And they're fighting with each other. And it's very strange. I don't like it. And Rolf and he, the captain kind of goads Rolf into ratting them out and calling for the Nazis. And like, they're here. And he blows the whistle and he calls them in. And Liesl is devastated. And it always feels felt weird to me. I don't like that scene. It, it just felt very forced and weird. And in the stage version, they do it very differently. And I like it a lot better. In the stage version, they do this scene where Rolf sees them and has like this little moment of connection with Liesl and with the captain. He sees them. And then from off stage, what his commander calls out to him something. And he says, all clear, nobody's here. And then he kind of gives them a significant look and he walks away and that's how they're safe. He's the one who kind of gives them cover and says, no, they're not here. So then the Nazis leave um, versus the movie version where they change that, which fundamentally changes this poor character in a very negative light. Um, just, I think, to make an action scene. They wanted an action scene where the family's running off to their car and the nuns have messed up the Nazis' car so they can't follow. And they drive out, drive off with the Nazis, like, fum bumbling in their broken cars behind them. And they wanted the action or comedy of that, I think, in the movie. But... It really changes who Rolf is in that moment. And in the play, Rolf is kind of a stand-in for he's still a good guy. And he's still the guy that was that Liesl thought she was in love with in all of this. He's just been caught up in this bigger moment, which is how something like that works, right? There are a lot of decent people who get pulled into this crap when movements like that happen. And I think that's a more true to the character and true to the moment version of how that scene would have played out that Rolf would have covered for them versus this idea that, well, he's a Nazi, so he's obviously just pure evil. And so obviously he's going to rat them out. 
which seems like a much more caricatured, less nuanced, and not as good a version of how the show should work. And so I really don't like that. My version of it is that Rolf saved them and they didn't have to go running, that the Nazis then left. And then the family, you know, is able to regroup and they set out over those hills behind the Abbey that the show started on. So the whole show starts with Maria singing the sound of music out on these mountains that she loves. And she talks about how she grew up on these mountains. These are her mountains. She feels so comfortable there. And the show ends with them having to literally walk across the Alps and get out of the country. And so they're walking through the mountains and it's got a reprise of Climb Every Mountain from the nuns as they're going off. And um, it ends with them just walking through the hills to get away from the Nazis. And in the movie, it's a very beautiful scene of all these gorgeous mountains that they're walking through. And the family is just on foot with what they can carry, leaving the country. And in real life, this actual family does that and they're off and they travel singing and doing other things to make money but they leave Austria and as far as I know they never go back um I don't need to give you more history of World War II this is towards the beginning of it a lot of the atrocities haven't happened yet um but they will and this family is going to ride it out outside of the German conquered area they luckily do not get taken by the Germans or anything like that um, but that's just how it ends in the show. They're just walking off into the sunset over the mountains and we're done. This show is a classic. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. You should definitely watch it. You should definitely watch the movie. This is one that anybody can see because it is a movie version that you can get. And it's a beautiful movie with Julie Andrews who is an idol and I love her and her voice is amazing and it's so good and I love this show so everybody watch it and I will see you next time